1: Mission Log Supplemental, number 25, another one from the Rio.
0: Fresh, off a trip to Las Vegas, Nevada. Freshness not included. I'm Ken Ray, a name to remember. Welcoming you to this supplemental edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. We here at Mission Log pride ourselves on our audio quality. Issues, however, can arise when we're not the ones in control of the audio quality. To put a Star Trek spin on this, uh, remember in Booby Trap? Was that the name of the episode? Booby Trap? I think they said it. Yeah, Booby Trap. Remember in the episode Booby Trap when Picard and Data were able to clean up that 1,000-year-old message? How they, you know, they got the message, though, with a lot of, like, you know, digital noise and static and things like that. That's pretty much this episode. The audio quality is not up to snuff. But we like the content, and we ran out of time. (laughs) So, we're bringing you this show in the hopes that you can get a thing or two out of it, and that you enjoy it. This is from the panel that John and I did at the Rio on the Sunday of the convention, right towards the tail end of the Sunday. And and to lay the groundwork for you, 20 minutes into our show, 20 minutes into our panel, uh, Brent Spiner and I think LeVar Burton, or maybe it was Michael Dorn. I can't remember because I wasn't there. And uh, Jonathan Frakes. I know it was Spiner and Frakes, and I think, I don't remember who else. I know there was at least one other actor there, though. We're going to be taking the stage. So we are like almost the last thing to happen on Sunday, but the last thing to happen is three big next gen stars, right? So that that's sort of where our panel begins. In the beginning there is a little bit of business to do. There is important Patreon information at the beginning of our panel. Please pay close attention to that. And the rest of it, pay as much or as little attention as you want. And now, as the guy who introduced our panel said, please welcome to the stage. Mr. John Ray.
2: I'm sorry that Ken Champion couldn't be with us today. <laughs> it's a tragic time indeed. Uh, John Champion is actually with us, though. Is he ready to come out? Can John Champion join us? Yes, thank you. Hi, Ken Ray. All right. Oh, by the way, Ken, just a little
1: piece of business real quick. Uh, It is now 420. We know what's happening in the other room at 445. At 446, we will start handing out $100 bills.
2: To the two of you who stay. Over 720 episodes of Mission Log are in the offing. As we sit here, or stand here, we were supposed to be sitting. Um... We've completed 148 episodes, that is a touch over 20%, that puts us on a three-times-five-year mission. Uh, we're in our eighth season of Star Trek, having hit the three series of um, the original series, two seasons of the animated series, and now we're on a third of Next Gen. Uh, with that as prologue, we welcome you to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast panel. I'm Ken Ray. And, and uh, I'm John Champion. And as is our way, we have a structure for this whole thing. Um, We've got a little business to take care of, and then John Champion's Trivia is coming up in just a bit. Uh, We're going to do that differently, though. Uh, The first time we did a panel here, we actually opened it up to questions right away, because I listen to him talk all the time, and he does the same (laughs) to me. Uh, It's much more fun to hear from you guys, so if you have a question that you'd like to ask us, or something that you've had about a past episode, Paradise Syndrome not included, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, but then when you come up to ask your question, John is going to ask a trivia question first. Don't worry if you don't get it right. Uh, but if you do get it right, there will be a thing. You'll get a thing. You'll get a so, thing. Wouldn't that be exciting? Um, you want to talk about that one? That's What's part that of the one? business. We'll get the oh, oh
1: business. Yes, yeah, we got business. Um, yeah. For everybody who has stopped by our booth this weekend, thank you so, so much. It has been incredibly gratifying to meet you and talk to all of you at length. Um, so thank you for doing that. One of the new things that we didn't talk a whole lot about at our table is Patreon. This is new for Mission Log. We know a lot of other podcasts are doing it, including our distribution partner, Trek FM. We wanted to do something special. We wanted to do Patreon. By the way, it, pardon my voice. I know a lot of you listen to the podcast. I don't normally sound like this, but thank you for bearing with me. Um, we wanted to do something exciting with Patreon. And we came up with uh, micro-subscription support levels so you can help support Mission Log. The yeah. idea is that we can grow bigger and stronger and faster and uh, make it go better. Um, that was for you, Ken. No, you're welcome. Um, um, then we'll be strong. Yeah, then we will. But we want to do so much more with Mission Log. We want to crank out more shows and have more interactivity with you guys. Um, and do more interviews and all the fun stuff that happens in between the regular mission log episodes. One of the ways to do that is, well, crowdfunding. So with Patreon, uh, we have some exciting prizes, and we're announcing them here first. This is a soft launch, so we have not put this out into the world yet. Um, That'll be
2: your job.
1: Yes. A dollar a month will get your eternal gratitude. But when you step up from that, you get some cool things. We have the official mission log mission patch, a NASA-style mission patch that will have mission log. It'll have our motto in Latin on it. And it will be designed by a guy who knows a thing or two about designing NASA mission patches, Mike Okuda. <laughs> One more thing.
3: That's also for you, Ken. I see nice that?
1: Um, Rod has been very generous with some of the materials from the Mission Log, I'm sorry, the Roddenberry Archive, including original 35 millimeter outtake frames from the original series. They're awesome. And there's a very limited collection of those. We have a new Mission Log plaque, which will be signed by all three of us. And at certain support levels, you'll be able to get a plaque personalized with our signatures, with that uh, film clip in there. everyone is different. It's a very limited quantity. And then some support levels will actually get all three. We have each of the classic colors, the Command Gold, Red, and Blue. Uh, So look for that at Patreon, patreon.com slash missionlog. And uh, we'll start getting the word out sometime next week. Other fun things in there, too, uh, stuff from the Roddenberry grab bag. That's not code for anything. There really is a grab bag, and we just grab a prize out of it. You might get a script. You might get a flop it. I don't know what you'll get, but you'll get something. Um, But do
2: check that out. So that's Order of Business number one. That's the business. Order of Business number two might actually stop somebody from asking a question. Um, Uh And that was not the point. But we've been going back and forth basically since the show started uh, talking about what we're going to do as far as the next series. Because, as you know, at the end of Season 3... As everyone knows, at the end of Season 3 of Next Gen, it starts, um, that's when uh, DS9, correct, begins. And um, we've wondered whether we were going to go back and forth, back and forth on each one, or if we're going to do each series as a whole, and we've decided to do each series as a whole. For a couple of reasons. <laughs> for a couple of reasons, I mean, one is that, uh, but then another is the way we do the show, and if there's anybody in here who doesn't know the show, did you know Brent is going to be over there <laughs> Um... For people who don't know about the hey, show... We got 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> got those hundreds. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, For people who don't know the show, uh, John does a recap one week, I do a recap one week, and that's sort of the way it goes. And if we suddenly split so that we were doing Next Gen one week and DS9 one week, Next Gen would be the Ken Ray show, and DS9 would be the John Champion show. And that would... And then, so I started trying to figure out, okay, well, how, how can we produce it so that it wouldn't be that? And the answer was, never sleep again, and it would be a nightmare. So we're going to do... Uh, all of next-gen and then the next-gen movies, yep. and then the S9, and then Voyager, and then Enterprise, and then J.J. Trek, and then that really cool series that's going to come out sometime in the next 11 years.
1: Yeah. You know what's happening. Yeah.
2: The one with Michael Dorn.
0: Yeah, there's some with that. <laughs> Maybe.
1: The more we talked about it the more I thought about it, it's certainly easier for everybody else, So when you go to Netflix or you get out your Blu-rays or whatever, that you're watching a series you're not jumping back and forth. And you're watching the story of a crew. This is the Picard and Riker crew. This is their entire story. Sure, there are crossovers. We get that. But if you think about it from a production angle, you had a writing team on Next Gen. You had a writing team on DS9. And I won't say never, but rarely the twain shall meet. They had some nice little crossover moments, but they're moments. And it'll be cool for us to look at those retrospectively when we get to a point in DS9 that references something that we talked about in Next Gen, when we get to do that uninterrupted and tell a complete story of a complete crew. So I'm looking forward to doing it that way. Rod really insisted that we do it. Even if you guys all turned against us, the, the iron fist of our dictator uh,
2: and executive producer, Rod Roddenberry, would not allow that to happen. Speaking of which, the first question from the audience, will that come from Rod Roddenberry? He has a question. Uh, You've got a microphone there and a microphone there. You don't need to use both of them, but please use one so that we can get your uh, question on the uh, recording. The third bit of business is we've been giving away uh, something called a a transporter at our table all week. We've given away three so far. We have one more. We're going to announce the winner here. If you got a chance to stop by our table and hear about it, fantastic. If you did not, our time is limited because did you hear Jonathan Brakes is going to be over there? (laughs) So... um, we're going to go ahead and announce the winner now, and if you would like to learn more about it, file missionlog slash mission log. And right. that will let them know that you heard about them with us, and it's a really cool device. It's like Dropbox, but kind of better and less expensive, and find out more. Mich- uh, file transporterstore.com slash mission log pod, and now we are going to use technology to pick the winner. Okay, just so you know this is legit, okay?
1: Pick a number between 1 and 208.
4: The answer is 48.
1: 48? 48. 48 is the number. So the winner is. Joni. Joni Landau.
2: That's your mom, really? Oh my gosh, it is Sam! Hey, welcome! Alright, cool. So you
1: guys get to go home with a transporter. Cool,
3: which
2: will save a lot of travel time. And you might go home with other stuff on our table, like chairs, a tablecloth, a banner. We have a banner that works like. 75% of the time. It's, it's great. It's the best. So yeah. as I said, our first question comes from we're gonna go ahead and do this. Oh, one. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah All right, so our first question we're moving on to the content portion sure. <laughs> um, Rod actually was intending to be here and then he was intending to have a surrogate and then none of those things happened So I will be Rod Roddenberry for this next little bit. One of the things I've heard a few times was that when my father created TNG Uh, He wanted it to depict a better humanity. He suggested that in the 24th century, we would be more ethically driven species uh, based on the TNG episodes thus far. Would you say that's true? If we evolved intellectually, are we better people or are we the same people as today with better technology, more opportunity, and better leadership?
4: I don't
1: think
2: ethics are
1: necessarily an evolved trait. There are things that we do from a moral point of view that are evolved. There is a streak of altruism that allows us as a species to survive. Okay, Um, We would not be here in a room with electric lights and a building above us and all this stuff if we didn't act in each other's better interests at some point in our evolution. You don't get to that point without that. But I think that in Star Trek, what we see, actually, we're seeing the cream of the crop. We're seeing the people who have maybe had advantages, and maybe there are better advantages in the 24th century. Better access to education, better access to technology. Uh, what do we call it? A, a post-scarcity economy. Yes. You know. So I don't know that necessarily you can say that in 200 years or 300 years, mankind, humankind, will be different. and just automatically do things differently. But I think that the more we work together, the more we provide for each other, the more opportunity we have to act better. We see the best of it in Picard. Picard is... We've talked about comparing Kirk to Picard, etc., and we've seen Picard really live up to some of those ideals about not firing the phasers first and telling microbrain to put the phaser down,
2: you know? I'm not 100% certain I agree with you, though. Really? Okay,
1: why is that? Well, captain?
2: because Picard, when we went to Who Watches the Watchers, which we just did recently, um, why didn't you just let him die? That's your captain. That's oh, your captain right there. Maybe. And he's actually fine. If, like, And uh, Dr. Crusher says, well, we caused it. And he still doesn't really seem to be convinced that that was the best thing to do. So, I mean, it's, it's a gray area. I mean, it's definitely a more... Refined cast and more refined writing style, certainly, that goes in the next gen. The problem that I have is, to answer the question like 24th century, 23rd century, we came up with this in the 20th century. Yeah. So we're there. We're just not there. We won't be that thing. I mean, when you point up here and say, we can't all do this without working for the common good. Dude, they were just spitting water on the street the other day. I was walking like 115 degrees outside. Seriously, 115 degrees. They've got these misters going, but I'm watching the mist just go that way. And none of it was hitting me, none of it was hitting the ground, but they're just throwing water in the air. It's hard for me to believe that that's actually working for the common good. We're in a desert. <laughs> and I'm cold. I'm wearing a hoodie in the desert. I'm not sure But just think, Ken, if good, we do work mind. together
1: and we have the protective weather dome that we're all expecting to Hover cover Las uh, Vegas in 100 a years, dome. 150, 200 years, then we can look back on those days of spitting
2: water at you as, as the first tiny uh,
1: misinformed
2: step. Somebody else, anybody else want to come up and do a thing? going to jump in a on, there? Or, uh, on that? Right. Or ask John a question. And Andy. Who gets there first? Oh, okay. Wow, there's a line now. Go okay, ahead, go Baldwin. Quick. Thanks for
3: the show. Thanks for the show, guys. It's a great, great show. You, John. Thank I've you. I've got Thank a question, really, for the both of you, and it's a simple question, which is, can you tell us... Um, Because this is very low here. Yeah. Uh,
2: Can you tell us how uh, your opinions, thoughts, feelings about Star Trek have changed, if at all, since you started doing the show? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yours probably haven't, because you were, like, a huge, like, Star Trek fan. I was a big, big Star Trek fan. I mean, I I do not
1: remember a time in my life that I was not aware of and had Star Trek in some way around me. There, There was a gap there, kind of in the college years, where just TV wasn't as accessible. That was kind of when DS9 was on. Um, But I I was just always into it. And I will say this, getting into Next Generation has made me more, again, a fan of Next Generation. I'm still a TOS guy, definitely. But I have gained a new appreciation for Next Gen. I think the other thing that has changed is doing what we do and doing it in order, um, which I, I don't think I ever saw these shows in strict order except for maybe the later series when I was watching the movie. Um, that has sort of clued me into a little bit more continuity when it's there. It's not always there. <laughs> um, and, um, and it sort of clued me into some of the production realities of the show. Because as you know, that's why I do the trivia, I'm fascinated by the backstage kind of production minutia. Um, so that I see reflected more so in the shows that I watch. What about you?
2: Um, when I was in high school, they remembered X-Men. They started X-Men 1. I was really excited because I wasn't into X-Men. I thought this was the thing I was missing. But I picked up X-Men 1. It turns out you have to have read all of the X-Men before. They were just renumbered. it. Next gen was my Star Trek. And I was conscious of the fact that this was going to be my crew. This was going to be my captain. Because I knew who Kirk and Spock were. I was you know, cognizant. But I didn't. I might catch the occasional rerun. And so I've actually been surprised how much depth there is to Kirk. He, always, he was just always a space cowboy as far as I was concerned. Um, some of the stories are absolutely wonderful. I expected a lot more stuff to be dated and awful, and, and yet that's the series that gave us the Corbin Light Maneuver and This Side of Paradise and maybe another awesome... From the original and stories. the Children Shall Lead. And the Children Shall Lead, of course. World's Best Motivational Speaker. That book is coming soon, I swear. It's the uh, power of positive thinking for negative results. For those of you who don't know, look for it. <laughs> Wherever books are tossed and the covers are and it's a dollar. So that's, that's sort of me. Actually, there's one other thing. So, 17 years old, next gen starts. I'm excited. It's, I, I get to meet a captain. I get to meet a ship. I get to meet a crew. I get to meet all these people. It's kind of bad. First two seasons, it turns out, are not great. Going back and rewatching it, I mean, I have such a love for these characters that I'll forgive almost anything but now that we're getting to season three I'm excited now because we've got really good storytelling got really great acting um, so that's been sort of a to answer your question that's been sort of a surprising thing for me is I've, you know when
1: we broke our format a little bit John I have a trivia question for you oh we
2: did we already did that
1: okay yeah so come back up um, and, and honestly, this is not fair, because it's not trivia.
2: Awesome. Sit down. If I can just... remember the name of a single episode of Star Trek, I'll be doing better than Ken, and I'll call it a victory.
1: <laughs> I, just, <laughs> named this I is just named two. I just named two. This is actually going to be a guess, because it's not anything you would know the answer to. So here we go. All right. How many total downloads has Mission Log had since we launched in 2012? Is it 3.9 million, 4.2 million, million. 4.7 million. Oh, you're so close. But I'm sorry, we have to go to the next questioner, It would be Andy. Sorry. So, Andy, you've got two choices here. You've got uh, 3.9 and 4.2 million. I'm going to say
3: 4.2. You are
1: right. So you win a prize. See me later.
3: I will see you later.
1: Okay, what is your question today, but I Andy? see you
3: now. Andy here, a long-time listener, been listening from the beginning. Uh, so let's stick with this theme of, of comparing the first body of work to what we've already done with the second body of work. So we had three full seasons of, of Star Trek original series. We are not quite three seasons in as far as mission log goes, but by next year you'll be almost five seasons in, so now's the time to ask. Compare the two in terms of messages, morals, meanings. Which ones do you think had the, the more powerful ones for their time, and which ones are still holding up today compared to the other? It's if Have you listened to our show?
1: That's a big, big question with, with um, I mean, I think we could spend a few hours talking yeah, about those. Yeah. Th- this is similar to a question that Ken asked me earlier. Um, so I'll preface it with this. He asked me how I felt like, um, like Next-Gen and TOS compared at least those first two seasons. And I said that I felt like Seasons 1 and 2 of Next-Gen felt in lockstep with the original series. Now the style is different, the ship looks different, the characters are different, but you could tell that it's Gene Roddenberry, Bob Justman, David Gerald, D.C. Fontana, and and even when a lot of those people left, you could tell that that DNA was still there, and they were still grappling with the same issues and telling the same kinds of stories that they told in TOS, right? Now, you get to the third season of Next Gen, Michael Piller, Ron Moore, uh, more of a heavy influence from Rick Berman. You have these newer writers coming in, you lose uh, Maurice Hurley, you lose uh, Burton Armis, you lose a lot of these people, the show becomes its own thing then. And it's still referencing the original series in in terms of we're going to do shows with social impact that tackle big issues, but it feels then like it's its own thing. It feels like it's its own world with its... uh, with its feet firmly planted in that world.
3: Yeah, this, this third season may turn out to be pretty good. We'll have to see. It. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. there were
1: great moments in seasons one and two, no question about it. But to me, it feels like the thought behind it is still 1966, 67, sure. 68. to. And, and it's not to say that it's old and stuffy. It's to say that this is how they learned to write Star Trek was
2: in those days. Well, and it, was they also, were applying... it was also the edict that came down from uh, Roddenberry, though, wasn't yeah. it? I mean, he wanted yeah. something that was a bit more... Uh, clean, yeah. let's say. Yeah. Um, yeah. He didn't want there to be striped in the Federation. He was fine with there being striped outside. He might still have like a jerk character, but... You know, Usually a Commodore. Reason, yeah, or not, an, or not an Admiral. Not you. But, um, I mean, so that would be just sort of the structure of the storytelling. But then by Season 3, he's sort of easing out a bit, and so you have people who can pick it up and play with it in different ways, right?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, but I think that some of those issues are the same issues, but Maybe they felt a little more confident to deal with them. So, okay, maybe we touch on sexism and equality and racism in the original series. Maybe. Well, (laughs) (laughs) but we approach it in a slightly different way when we get to Next Gen. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I made the comparison between Who Mourns for Adonais and Who Watches the Watchers. To me, these kind of bookend each other, not not because they're the same story, but because you can tell this Gene Roddenberry's thought process to say, I want to talk about religion, and I want to talk about it in a way that, is, that maybe takes you out of your comfort zone a little bit, um, but it, this time around, we're going to be a little more sure-footed about how we approach it. So that's what I appreciated about seeing that episode. And we'll see it again. We'll see Star Trek go back to the well for the issues, but maybe handle those issues in new and complex and more nuanced ways.
3: Yeah, that's the beauty of the show. Good to see it all happen exactly thank yeah. you thank we have you a trivia question for we have a trivia question for you
1: what is the most downloaded episode of mission law okay
3: downloaded
1: episode. so you have three choices the cage the man trap or interview with roberto Orsi.
3: Assuming that people want to sample you by your first episode, I would say the cake. Look at the scientists Look at the, Look logic. the, Look at the logic. Look at the logic.
1: Yeah. Thank you, David. Come on, yes. and do the thing. So you'll, you'll get a prize. See me later.
3: Um, my question, I want to take us back to last summer when you guys were doing the series that was in between the original series and the next generation, the animated series. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, did you have any preconceptions before you started about quality, the nature of the meetings, morals, and messages, how well they held up before you started the podcast and reviewed those, versus how you felt at the end of it, after you had done all you know, 22 half-hour episodes. Yeah. Because uh, you guys occasionally spritz into your current podcast of references to some of those things. I just wondered, did you have any preconceptions, or how did, how did, how did you feel about it after you had done the whole animation
2: Well, we knew the animation was going to be terrible. We both remembered that, and it is. Um, I was surprised how much real Star Trek that they were doing. And there are things, there are things that they did, and I've probably referenced this on the show a million times, but, but um, Lucien from The Magics of Magus 2, it's an amazing thing. So parents don't want to get out of bed, right? So they give their kids some cereal, and they send them out in the living room, and there's the devil. And the devil is telling them, he's not the devil, come on. And here's the thing, if you suddenly don't necessarily believe that the devil is the devil, then suddenly you're maybe thinking, God might not be God, come to think of it. And that's mind-blowing that they did that, and they did it in 20 There's There are some times when we're watching an episode, well certainly the original series, but uh, sometimes in Next Gen as well. Where it's like, we got 48 minutes, so let's have everybody for their brow a bit more and fret a bit more and things like that. On the animated series, they had 22 minutes. And they were telling just some rock-solid, amazing science fiction stories with real morals, messages, and those kinds of things. Um, also talking with somebody, I can't remember who, earlier this week about when you saw a woman in command on the Enterprise. First one was on the animated series. It was when Uhura took over, because all the men, the Lorelei signal very good thank that's you <laughs> uh, so um a woman took over took control at that point that happened in the cartoon and that was the first time in star trek i believe that, that had happened i mean she was integral to some stories but she was in command of the enterprise at that point she and nurse um, chapel yeah. took over yeah. and that's that's an amazing thing so there was some really great stuff there uh questions of the, the infinite Vulcan is, a, is an amazing thing to me it goes to Spock's brain which i know is supposed to be a horrible episode but Spock would be fine being Spock's brain because he's still Spock as far as he's concerned. Spock is the infinite Vulcan. The 50-foot Vulcan would be fine as the 50-foot Vulcan. It doesn't look like what Kirk thinks. It looks like though. so it's has of to stop. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it brings some really interesting philosophical stuff, which is, you know, nuts to think and next, Hong Kong Phooey. You know, I mean, that, that's
1: <laughs>
2: amazing what they were doing in that time.
1: I think I, I'm
2: lucky that I grew up
1: at a time when, you know, I, I was a child of the 70s. Star Trek was in rerun, but... The animated series, those Mego figures, color forms, all that stuff, it it kind of blurred it all in my head, so I just knew that as Star Trek. Star Trek is all of that stuff, and then a few years later, I could anticipate the first motion picture, so I never really looked at the animated series as something being separate and different. We got to go back and watch it. I was amazed that the stories were so good, because you look at the interviews with David Gerald and D.C. Fontana and Gene Roddenberry, and they say, "Yeah, we were just making Star Trek. We didn't think about well, this is different, or it's separate, or we have to dumb it down. We're just making Star Trek, and that shows absolutely. That same fifteen minutes of music they only ever had for the entire twenty-two episode run. I love that. I love that. I mean, it would be a very short CD if you had the soundtrack, but I love that, you know? <laughs> and it just puts me back in that place. Yeah, this is all that filmation stuff." But getting to rediscover it was magic. Give yeah. have a question over there. What was your name? I'm sorry.
2: Amy. Amy. Yes,
1: we met. Thank you yes, for coming by the you. table.
2: Love your show. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe give us a preview. Your commentaries, uh, especially the last two with Will Wheaton and Marina Sarvis, are fabulous. Who's next? Come
1: on, spill it. Spill it. <laughs> um, okay, I, I will. N- I will not tell you who's. Specific- well, hang on. Who specifically is coming up, but I will say that um, we have people lined up from Next Generation, the Next Generation era. We're going to be able to dig more deeply into some of the behind the scenes and cast changes that happen in Next Gen. So you just kind of mull over that. OK. OK. Uh, it always comes down to scheduling, and timing, and availability, and all this stuff. But uh, we have had many a flurry of emails uh, about getting this together. Um, I have also been in touch with uh, Preston Neal Jones, who wrote the definitive history of Star Trek The Motion Picture. And if you listen to our show, you know that I'm a huge fan of that movie. I feel like it, it merits a lot of discussion. Um, he actually started his interviews before that movie was made and then through the production and post, and now he's come out with a big, thick volume of uh, transcribed interviews and comments about that. So uh, we will have him on at some point. I, I don't know if it's going to be in a few weeks or a few months, but he will be there. Um, and the others, you, you just you just have fun playing that mental game about who we'll have on.
2: Well, it felt like uh, your interview with Marina Sertis, like, we got... Cut off, and then you guys talked with her for a lot longer. Oh, Isn't yeah. that true? Well,
1: yeah, because so... You
2: just left us hanging, and...
1: Uh. Okay, well, so you have to understand that... They were next to each other. I was in Buffalo. They said oh, yeah. goodbye to me.
2: I got no clue with that. Was. A lot
1: of the interviews with uh, dignitaries, celebrities, um, they happen at Rod's house. So we have a little recording space behind his office, and somebody like Marina, who's very tight with Rod, and, and hopefully you got that through the interview, she practically grew up with him as, like, the little brother. Right, yeah. You know, uh, because she's very close with Jean and Majel. So it's nice to have somebody like that come to the house. But the problem is, they know each other very well. She's very chatty. And we just immediately started talking. So there was no intro to our show. And and in fact, she had been telling so many great stories. I just hit record. and Say that again. Say that again. Um, And then at the end, there was still so much more to say. But she was taking off to go do something else. She will be back. Uh, if, If... If it's kicking and screaming, we will have her back because she's fabulous. She promised. She did. did. We'll hold her to it.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Hello, Ken Ray, John Champion. Thank
3: you for what you do. Um, You.
1: What's your name, by the way? Sean. Hi, Sean. Hi.
3: So you approach things in a very each episode in a very unbiased and partial way, which I really appreciate. You brought up Spock's brain, which is, you know, obvious that you know. Yes, they say Spock's brain. A million times, and that's ridiculous. But yet, when you break that away, there's some fun content there, and, and it's enjoyable. But are are there any things, any episodes that you, you approach and you go, I hate that episode? And yes. is there something <laughs> mentally you have to do to approach it impartially or unbiased? Um, I
2: don't remember the name of the episode because we haven't gotten to it yet. But the one with the exobots. Oh yeah, I hate oh, the, the exocomps. Exo- exocomps. 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 Was anybody the one episode? Because we've done it i like four times, it seems to me, and it seems like this woman who should know this, but I haven't watched it in years, and we haven't watched it in the rewatch yet, so I can't say. As far as um, actually approaching it in a different way, no, hopefully not. I mean, hopefully what I'll do is I'll just sit down and watch it. If I can't see anything but hate, I'll probably sit down and watch it again, again without taking notes and just try to find something. Um, but I'm the guy who forgets, you know, last week's episode in the middle of it, so I can't really say for certain.
3: I, it, part of the
1: fun is I feel like now is one of the only times that, that this is a new thing where you can marathon a show. You get the DVD, you get the Blu-ray, now with Netflix and Hulu and everything, you can just sit down and marathon a show in order. But I didn't, I didn't grow up watching the shows that way. You know, Certainly the TOS, it was reruns, it was all over the map. Even when things were new, like Next Gen, okay, you miss a week, or then you got a summer to wait and it takes years and years to get through. So I really do feel like, even if I'm familiar with the stories, I'm still watching them new. And I kind of put myself in the shoes of somebody who is watching it new. Now the benefit is we have this history that we can draw from, where what are the episodes we've already watched. Part of the game, as you know, is not jumping the timeline. We, we joke about We're that. We're bad at that game. Yeah. We joke about that because sometimes we just can't help it. But the thing is, we don't want to force each other into a corner and say, oh, yeah, and remember that time this is coming up, and then this is coming up, and then that spirals out of control, where either he doesn't know what I'm talking about or I don't know what he's talking about, and the show would become an hour long of doing that. It's not fair to you guys. It's not fair to us to do that. But it's way fun to look at it retrospectively and say, okay, when the writer wrote this episode we're on right now, The only things that they could draw from is what happened in the past. So it it was new to them, so it'll be new to us. Um, There are episodes I know that I didn't like as much as others, and we both try to stay away from sharing our opinions or reading your opinions first, because we want to be totally unbiased and fresh when we get to it, even if we know that we're not
3: such a fan of the Richie episode. (laughs) Hello.
2: Hey, Caitlin.
3: Hi. Thanks for
2: all those interviews, extra interviews. I find the found the Marina interview really, really eye-opening, and it's a little troubling
3: as well. And I'm wondering, in the three years you've done this podcast, you know, what else have you found that was really eye-opening, and how do you reconcile the behind-the-scenes drama with the legacy that
2: is Star Trek?
1: That's for you. Have you ever worked in theater or film or TV or any any of the, like, performing arts or anything like that? Just high school improv. It's the same thing, (laughs) you know? You you have egos, you have pressure, you have deadlines, you have all of this stuff that is chipping away at um, sort of the the camaraderie and the joy of creating, you know? Um, For me... Well, we have on somebody like David Gerald, who has his take on things, his story about what the the, the joys and the deeply disturbing problems with working on Star Trek. We have to look at it and say, okay, this is his point of view. It's his perspective. And it's valid. His experiences are valid for him. And then you have somebody else come on and say, oh, working with Gene was great. Working with Bob Justman was great. Working with everybody was great. Um, And that's valid, too, because that was their experience. I think I've always been somebody who um, I felt like I got more out of production the more I knew about the -the behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, Even when I was a kid watching, say, Star Wars, and I'm five years old watching Star Wars. It's a space fantasy, and it's awesome, and I get lost in the story. But I also am fascinated by the fact that they built a Millennium Falcon. They built this prop. And it took prop guys with wood and hammers and nails and paint to make that thing happen. And it doesn't take away from the joy of experiencing a story, knowing that people, like, sweated and fought over making that story happen. So the -the behind-the-scenes stuff is interesting to me in that respect, but it doesn't take away at all from the the messages in the actual episodes or in the movies themselves. It it only kind of adds to it. it. It's... It's the two sides of the same coin. And you can choose to appreciate whichever side you want.
0: I have no problem
1: holding that in my mind at the same time. But I can enjoy something, and I can also realize it was probably a huge pain for some people to make that happen. It's a miracle that shows get made. It's a double miracle that any of them turn out any good. You know? It really is, particularly when you get to the end of the season, and then they're all like, oh just worn out, I have no more fresh ideas, and then I know I have to do it again next season. It's an absolute miracle that it happens at all.
2: Thank you. Thank
1: you. Sam. guys. Um, So as somebody who studies science mostly, Star Trek, what I noticed is obviously the space exploration and the, the, the future of space exploration and all that stuff. But I'm also interested in Star Trek, obviously because of the morals that explored and the human condition that's explored. But I'm wondering for you guys, what's your background where you guys tend to reference many things like story, production, philosophy, psychology, all sorts of things. Do you have anything in your background that helps you with that, or is it just your natural interest?
2: I've watched a lot of television. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Rod Roddenberry came to me in... January of 2012, and said, I like what you do. Because I have a podcast, and I've been analyzing Apple News for 10 years. Well, almost 10 years now. He liked the way I talked about that. He liked the way I thought about that. And he seemed to think that I would have something else that I could bring to the thing. Um, The best part was I told my neighbor, Yeah, Rod Roddenberry asked me to do this. And she said, Why you? It's <laughs> great. Um, I don't have anything like any sort of, I'm I'm a, my mind is a sieve as far as catching stuff that I find interesting. There are lines from books that I read 20 years ago that I still remember, because there's something beautiful about it. And there's something beautiful about that stuff at Starchford as well, and I tend to watch it that way. And we get emails all the time that say, you're wrong about this. I personally disagree with those emails because I don't know that you can be wrong about it exactly, but there's certainly stuff that I don't know. There's certainly stuff I'm gonna miss. Sometimes we'll do some research when we were doing the Kononians the other day I didn't know the the root of the word Kononians, so you know cool thing is we all have Google now So even if you don't know <laughs> you Start watching that show by the time you get there. You should have a bit more knowledge um, So that's me. John on the other hand is a brain on legs So he <laughs> I, You know I,
1: something you just said I'm kind of always entertained about the idea that when when we meet people here or We get emails and say I love your show um and most of the time, I disagree with you. And, yeah. and I kind of wonder, what are you disagreeing about? Because if it's just that I have an opinion about something, right. well, that that's kind of the nature of the show. That's just sort of what we do. And, and you have an opinion, too, and that's cool. But... Um, I always wonder about the idea of just disagreeing. Like uh, you're wrong. Yeah, you
2: know, we got about a great email from somebody recently who was like, "You were wrong," and I had to laugh when you said this. And you were wrong yeah. about that, and I had to laugh about that too. And I got like halfway through the email, and I practically <laughs> threw
1: his computer across the room. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the emails that sound like a disappointed father, yeah. like, "Oh,
2: well, those are mostly from my father. They are, they are. but he writes them to me, which is so I weird. I right? you know, right? Oh, yeah. He doesn't even get my email address.
1: Right, right." right. Um, My background, I grew up as an actor, and I I spent a lot of time as a kid and up through college, and then um, after that, working in uh, Chicago theater and doing all kinds of stuff. But I also worked in publishing, and when I was in college, my mother and father encouraged me to not get a degree in theater, even though I'd spent 18 years, theater, film, TV, commercials, whatever, but they said, get a degree in something else. And I found that I was interested in a lot of other topics. I I got a degree in journalism. I spent a lot of that time studying psychology, sociology, anthropology. Um, In fact, I I don't know if I would have taken a career in psychology, but it's something that I stuck with. And um, to this day, I have uh, a real passion for political and social issues. It's not always the right place to share them on our show, because it's our opinion piece, but it's not a platform, necessarily, for us to preach. Um, But these are topics that I'm uh, I'm deeply interested in. And Rod and I uh, sat down several years ago, and it was one of the first times we really socialized. We kind of knew each other, but the first time we really socialized over dinner, and just a lot of sake. Just an obscene amount of sake. The the truths kind of came out, and and we just sort of realized, you know, these things that you think about the world, and these things that you think about sociology and political issues and psychology, blah, blah, blah. We're kind of on the same wavelength, and we always had those conversations about Star Trek, not necessarily in the context of discussing episodes of Star Trek, but like, well, what do you think about this thing? Is that sort of kind of what Gene Roddenberry was saying in Star Trek? Okay, let's go with that. And I think that's where he started to formulate the idea of a podcast and uh, that we would talk about these things. And he, he quietly listens in. Sometimes he'll send us an email like he did today, talk about this.
2: <laughs> you know?
1: But uh, but yeah, but that that's my background and my interest level in all of this. And and he knew that I was a fan. You know, I, I kind of grew up as a fan, got away from Star Trek for a while, but then several years ago went back to a convention and sort of realized, oh, Wait, these are my people.
3: Why have I
2: not been doing this, you know? So, there you go. Hey, guys. So, a couple of, uh, As we're all fans of Star Trek, we're probably... We're probably all fans of, of the show in a way that we can't find ourselves in a position to introduce, especially the original series, people who are curious about the show and wanting to know more about it and what's Star Trek all about. And... Uh, Your podcast is a fantastic way for people to learn a little bit more about it, an extension of it. But as far as a single episode to start someone off on, what's your take on that as far as which one? Because, I mean, you could just say start at the beginning, but there's a question of what really is the beginning. Are you going to play our podcast with it? Um, I'm not really sure. I'm not trying to it's, get it, you to. I mean, it depends. Honestly, I think The Man Trap is a great first episode. I think it's a great first episode if you're not going to give anybody anything ancillary. Um, I think what we found in the Corbin maneuver was kind of incredible. That's always going to be, probably always going to be my favorite episode, just because the stuff that, that it personally said to me was kind of incredible. So if it were me, I'd go with either of those. But we were talking, and forgive me if I've already said this here, um, I know I've said it at the table a couple of times today, Star Trek's kind of weird, the original series, because it starts off so incredibly strong and then goes kind of sideways. South. Well, or south. Um, TMG and everything else are are kind of different because they take a while to get up the hill. It's like a roller coaster in a way. They're sort of chugging up the hill, but once you've pressed the beginning of season three, it seems, in most of the series, um, then, then you're in for a really fantastic ride. Um, so I would think the Man Trap or...
0: Or the I
1: I think Corbin might's awesome. I think we had a great conversation about it. It's the show that always comes back when we're talking about current episodes. Um, And, you know, it's weird. We had a conversation about how City on the Edge of Forever is a great piece of entertainment. It is a great romantic piece of entertainment. It's a great piece of science fiction. Yeah, it's a great piece of science fiction. Is it really Star Trek at its core? There are good arguments to be made either way. Um, We see Ethos Logos Pathways. We see id, ego, super ego played out, and we see the friendship of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Is it really at the core of what Star Trek is about? Uh, You could argue not, Um, but it's a fascinating piece of storytelling, and it appeals to my romantic side. It, It just pains me when you see the end of that episode, and I think that Star Trek is best when it's about character and when it's emotional, but it does those two things first and then brings you into kind of the heady scientific or, or uh, philosophical thoughts. kind of depends on your audience, who you're showing Star Trek to. But it's a gripping story about characters, so I, I do
2: recommend not to it too. It's kind of obvious, right? I mean, you say, oh, it was the greatest
1: episode of Star Trek ever made. No, been...
2: I was talking to somebody at our table, actually, who he said he was finally going to get his wife into Star Trek. He was finally going to get it. He knew the perfect episode... It was uh, sitting on the edge of forever, and she watched it for ten minutes and said, "That's the one from Dynasty. I can't take this seriously." Oh, <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. Yeah, right. <laughs> wow, really? Because that you would think that that might be the one that would get yeah, anybody yeah. interested.
1: So, if the person you're showing it to has not already watched Dynasty and yeah. they're not listening to the Dynasty podcast, Dynasty podcast. which we will do in twenty forty three. Yeah, I think so. We uh, moonlighting, call check the night stalker, uh, small wonder, Marco, small wonder. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, love both. Well, I'm, I'm I'm doing that on my own currently. Yeah, I'm currently. doing that. At a, yeah,
2: yes, sir. It's really fun to listen to you guys talk. I think part of it is because you're you're coming at it from a different perspective, and so it makes it engaging. The thing that I'm I'm curious about is where the heart of it is. What is it that each of you love the most about the whole Star Trek universe? That I feel like that speaks a little bit to how you guys are not always on the same page about a lot of things.
1: Hmm. You know, it's funny, I think you and I are on the same page about a lot of stuff, probably more than even comes across in the show. Yeah. You know, so, but I think what we do is we, we tend to get fixated on these little, minute details that then become bigger things, but in terms of, like, our, our politics and our social outlooks and stuff, we're, we're very, very similar. Um, I think the thing that is most fascinating to me is that you can take any great piece of literature, any great work of literature, take the works of Shakespeare, take whatever you like, and, uh, or, or take you know, some great religious texts. Or, and the idea is that they have staying power because they say something about what it is to be human. That's all that it's about. a a great night at the theater, or or watching a movie that affects you emotionally. It's all about asking you what it is to be human, and what kind of human do you want to be. Star Trek is so lucky that it gets to be entertaining, and also do that, and show us this world to aspire to, and also do that. Um, I I said it before that Star Trek The Motion Picture, to me, is such an underrated movie, But to me, that is one of the most humanistic stories Star Trek has ever told. Spock reaching up on sick bay bed and saying this simple gesture is something that each will never understand. And that's the changing of the Spock's character. And and it sort of guts me every time I see it. It's like, ah, this is the Spock that becomes the Spock that we want to see in the Wrath of Khan and informs everything else that comes out. So part of it's Part of it's technology. I love spaceships and all that stuff. Part of it is science. Part of it is philosophy. But ultimately it comes down to the, these questions that, that don't have a hard answer. It's just about what kind of human are you now? What kind of human do you want to be? And how do we get there?
3: For all the fun
1: that Star Trek has with uh, work drive and transporters and phases, fine you were much more interested in that simple moment at the end of the Corbamite maneuver saying they almost killed us let's go help them because now they're hurt you know that's that's one of the big messages of star trek is you can be better than
2: your gut instinct um honestly for me it was just always the fact that it's it's a sort of a guidepost to where we can go i mean i
0: On my Apple
2: show that I do, not the Apple, but Apple, um, I used to talk about one of the reasons I love Apple technology. I'm not trying to cross load size for it, but the thing I loved about it was it seems to me that there are two potential futures, Blade Runner or Star Trek. And the Apple stuff always spoke to me as the one that gets us to the Star Trek future. And the Star Trek future is the one that I want to aim for. I like the idea. I mean, I say the whole thing about the misters and all that stuff. I don't like how cynical I am about where we are today because I love how... (laughs) <laughs> because we love how um, beautiful the, the, the possibility of a struggle in the future is, or the, how beautiful that in the future is. It's sort of sad, though, that we only think of it in terms of future, because, like I said a few minutes ago, these 24th century characters were created in 1986, right? Yeah. Created in 86, first aired in 87. Right. We've had these ideas. And we, some of us continue to have these ideas, and some of us say, yeah, but here's the thing, if I do that, then I have less. Okay. So we have less um, so I, I've always just sort of like the vision, where we're past the petty squabbling, which was where we got into our fight about the first two episodes. <laughs> Gene Roddenberry did not want the Federation to be bad. We'll go find other people who are bad. He didn't want the infighting, he didn't want the, 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 uh, the backstabbing, the angriness, the conspiracy, inside like, that whole thing. And, and, you know, and I know so many people who say, oh, this is where it gets good, we have that arc where this guy's after that guy kind of and all this stuff. It's better storytelling, it's more exciting storytelling, but, it gets in, and that's sort, of, that's sort of a bummer, but it's going to be awesome, so, you know, it be great.
1: There's a constant thing in Star Trek about, sorry, about the the family you earn or the family you choose versus the family that you are given, and we've kind of joked about it that on the Enterprise D, everybody's an orphan, literally or figuratively, everybody's an orphan, um, but they have formed such strong bonds, and it, it is a little unfair that when we watch Star Trek, we're seeing what's happening on a ship with a crew. We don't really go back to Earth that much. We don't really see what other people are doing. We work in a restaurant or work at, I don't know, Denny's in the 24th century. We don't know what their personal lives are like. their But what we do get to see on the ship
2: is that coming together, with the so, we just got the symbol from the guy over there. By the way, have you considered an exciting and rewarding career in podcasting? i <laughs> um, uh, the signal the we have 45 more minutes. Yeah, right? Exactly. Okay, right. You've got to start giving out those hundreds pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, we're going to be tearing down our table in about three minutes, but it's over by the Roddenberry table. So, if you I'm guys Tear off a piece. Stop by pie <laughs> and uh, break off a piece of the table and it to you and take a call. Or, you know, catch us in the office, whatever. Oh yeah. Cool. yeah. I can't believe you this many people stayed. Thank you so much. Thank you. You guys are awesome. <laughs>